And it's frustrating because we see constantly that anytime the left um, has something that they want to change, they are more than happy to actually change the rules of the game in order to get what mm -hmm. they want. Whether that's doing things like trying to lower the voting age to 16, um, trying to pack the Supreme Court, mail-in ballots, whatever, they are not afraid to think strategically and to change things if things are not yeah. going their way. Conservatives, by and large, don't do that. All right, welcome back to the channel today, everybody. Um, and almost happy Canada Day, as well as Independence Week coming up. Um, so yeah. my next guest um, really requires no introduction. She has multiple YouTube channels on here, and she's been uh, fighting for freedom for, for quite a while now. Lauren Chen, thank you for coming on. Hey, thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. Yeah. So... I've actually been following you for quite a long time, um, probably back all the way to your roaming millennial days. Um, so how long have you kind of been on, on YouTube? I was just thinking about this the other day. I think it's been at least five, maybe six years, because I remember I was definitely on YouTube 2016. I remember making videos about the election and Trump, and I think I actually started in 2015 if that's possible so yeah it's like going on six years which is so crazy um, I mean lately with a lot of things even like thinking about how long ago I graduated from college it's like I'm I'm feeling the adulthood hitting me really strong <laughs> so you've been um I mean because you like I said you have two channels um mm. one is your more political channel which you seem to post to almost every day and then you have your movie review content and stuff like that which I actually really enjoy as well. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, what, what I was going to say is that it's kind of, it's interesting speaking to people who um, have newer YouTube channels like yourself, because I feel like the the environment is just so different. Like, I mean, to be completely honest with you, it was much easier to start out with content creation, I think back in 2015 than it is now. I mean, now there are so many different hurdles that creators have to jump through um, kind of just to, to break into getting recommended or featuring on searches that when, I mean, yeah. when I was starting up, it was kind of like the Wild West. And so one of the yeah. things that like, I'm sure you know about is the the frequent uploads can really make a difference um, in, in yeah. channel growth and things like that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's kind of been interesting to see channels having to adapt and everything. And I, I really do miss the good old days where you didn't have to worry about you know, talking about things like the the pandemic or certain, I don't want to get your channel in trouble or this video in trouble, but it, I, it. I miss those days where you could just yeah. speak your mind freely and not worry about it. Yeah. And that's what I try to do on this channel. I really, like I said, yeah. I really don't have any filters, so just go for it. Um, but you're right. It is a lot. It seems to be a lot different landscape um, than it is now. So you moved your channel a little bit for a little while to the blaze, right? Yeah, so I was with, I started off with CRTV, um, and then I was okay. also kind of there for the merger where CRTV and The Blaze became Blaze TV, so I think it ended up being mm -hmm. like one year CRTV, two years with The Blaze. Okay, yeah, because I've been, I mean, I've been a subscriber to The Blaze since their very beginning, um, and so I was glad to see you kind of move over to there because I, I mean, shoot, I've been watching Glenn Beck since he was on CNN Headline News. So yeah, that that path. Um, but I really didn't understand um, how the Blaze and CRTV was kind of doing stuff because it was almost like I could go watch your content for free on YouTube. So I didn't really understand 
why the blaze was kind of showing the same stuff on theirs for a paid subscription it didn't make as much sense to me yeah so i mean it kind of crtv and the blaze ended up doing things kind of differently so when i was with crtv um i'm pretty sure that the way we were doing it is that we were doing three episodes a week one of which would be outside of the the paywall so um i think yeah, I was only doing one upload to mm. YouTube a week back then, uh, three episodes total, two you had to be paid subscribers to see. The Blaze wanted to do things a, diff a little bit differently, so the way that they kind of saw things working for at least my show was that everything would be in front of the paywall, so that's why I had the three episodes a week, I think, like, in front of the paywall, um, but mm -hmm. it would be kind of you were subscribing just to support the show, like a, an equivalent yeah. to Patreon for example. Yeah. Um, so okay. it's been kind of interesting to see different, um, you know, working with these companies, different ways of trying to keep, keep the program sustainable while like acknowledging like, yeah, we're, we don't have Fox News or CNN money. Um, but I, I will say that overall, um, it feels much better being in front of the paywall, of course, it, just having people, oh, yeah. and you know, not that there's anything wrong with offering some exclusive content, but I, I definitely think it's better for growth if people are able to see obviously more of your videos. Absolutely. Um, because you're and and it's more about getting the word out there instead of, you know, yeah, getting subscribers behind the paywall, right? So I, I can see that absolutely. Yeah. And then now, like I think with that, of course, you need to think of different ways to monetize things like um sponsorships and ads, which I know some people really don't like, but it's kind of the you know, the, the money needs to come from somewhere. Um, and actually, absolutely. I mean, people like Gavin have done really great with like censored TV, um, which I think is completely behind the paywall. So it's, mm -hmm. um, yeah, people, people are trying to adapt as well as they can dealing with things like YouTube demonetization and banning. Yeah. Okay. So, um, so you are in Canada and like I was just mentioned to you before, <laughs> I kind of know a little bit about Canadian politics. Um, growing up in Michigan, having my brother's fiance still living in, in Canada right now um, and, and all of that. So how did you get involved in U.S. politics? Well, what I think some people don't actually know is that I went to American schools pretty much my entire life. So I was born in Canada, but then I grew up in mostly Asia, Hong Kong, uh, Shanghai, and Singapore, going to American international schools. So my education system was actually based on U.S. curriculum, U.S. history, and things like that. And then when I graduated high school, I ended up going to the U.S. for university. So I started off USC in California freshman year, finished off in Utah, BYU, not Mormon. I feel like I always have to add that disclaimer, <laughs> but I got a scholarship and it's, it is a good school. I had a good time there. And so I, I'm, I guess, one of those third culture kids that's pretty common with uh, expat families. Um, you know, I am, I am Canadian, but I've done very little of my schooling here. Uh, you know, I, I, anytime I meet someone who's like, you know, American or from Europe, they'll be like, oh yeah, hockey or this Canadian thing. And oftentimes I'm like, yeah, I don't know that. Like, <laughs> I'm the, I, I don't know. I'm not a very good Canadian in that sense. Um, so yeah, especially when uh, when I was in college, I studied political science, and uh, you know, I interned on the Hill for Paul Ryan back when I liked Paul Ryan, and so it's my education experience and work experience has all been exclusively American politics. Oh, that's okay. Yeah, I always like to ask people. Like um, I had Marcus, um, the offensive attorney, on last November, um, and he's in Denmark. So I always like to ask that because I'm not so tied in with international politics and it always amazes me sometimes how the world focuses on 
U.S. politics where we just, I guess we're arrogant in a lot of ways where we're just like, you know what, I don't care about what you're doing. The only thing is, is with Canada, and again, growing up up north, you start to know what happens in Canada tends to dribble over and start to happen in the U.S. We're just a little and, bit behind. Yeah, and vice versa, too. I mean, it's it's crazy. Like, I mean, if you look at things like BLM or just in general, like the the progressive sphere, a lot of these concepts have started in America, but they've actually taken root stronger and faster in Canada and the UK. I mean, you know, you have BLM Mm-hmm. protests I guess I'll call them charitably happening in the UK and in Toronto and Montreal but it's like this they're t- completely different countries we even saw gosh I think it was some Scandinavian country they had a big protest or or uh, you know memorial for George Floyd and it's like what <laughs> he's, yeah. he's not even uh you know from there but yeah I think it just goes to show like the the soft cultural power and impact that America does have over the west of the western world rest of the western world (laughs) yeah absolutely so shifting a little bit now to some of the the videos that you've been putting out uh, lately and it's talking about the right and where um and why they are they continue to lose um and first of all i I guess i want to ask you too where are your political labels and where like where do you see yourself in in the in the political chart um, so I actually, I, I might do like a, a little quick vlog or video about this, but I've kind of come to the realization that I don't, I don't identify as being conservative really anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm definitely right wing. Um, but more and more, I'm, I'm feeling this kind of, it's like with feminism, right? Is feminism just being just about being pro women and for equality, or is it about the actual feminist political movement and everything that that entails? I'm more yeah. and more taking the approach to the label conservative is being conservative, just being like pro family, pro country, pro freedom, or does it actually encapsulate everything that goes along with the modern conservative movement? And if it's the latter, if I treat conservatism the same way I would treat the label feminism, then I would have to say, no, I don't identify as, as part of this. And, uh, you know, I was watching, I'm listening to a lot of um, Michael Malice, who's great, as well as Carl Benjamin. And, um, you know, Michael Malice, he often says that conservatism is progressivism driving the speed limit. And that, I mean, it's very, very true. And what's kind of frustrating mm-hmm. is that, as, you know, Carl from, you know, Sargon of Akkad, he was saying that, you know, revolution and conservatism are like two opposing ideas you can't have both so it doesn't really make sense when people yeah. uh you know call someone like a, a fascist revolutionary or conservative because that's i mean that kind of goes against the idea of what conservatism is and in that grain i don't think i can honestly call myself a conservative because i is i don't necessarily want to conserve the existing political system i want something new i think the existing yeah. political system is exactly what has put the right on the defense and in such a weak position. And so if conservatism is trying to fight for, I mean, I I guess a a political structure that has enabled our oppression and the left to take hold, then no, I do not want that. And it's frustrating because we see constantly that anytime the left um, has something that they wanna change, they are more than happy to actually change the rules of the game in order to get what Mm -hmm. they want whether that's doing things like trying to lower the voting age to 16, um, trying to pack the Supreme Court, mail-in ballots, whatever, they're not afraid to think strategically and to change things if things are not yeah. going their way. Conservatives by and large don't do that. Any type of like new thing they'll, they'll be pushed back for. So I guess, yeah, long story short, I am right-wing. I would not call myself conservative. Uh, I'm a nationalist, I'm a populist, 
yeah, it's uh, I guess how I would okay. my beliefs. Yeah, and I, I can see what you're what, what you mean in a lot of that. That's why I move more libertarian because I, I used to label myself conservative. I was a Tea Party member, mm-hmm. and then I moved more into the freedom side of things and less government. And I saw that as we see conservatives now, conservatives don't care about they don't care about the small government stuff that they've preached for so long when they're in office. So it just feels like lip service in a lot of ways. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think more and more, we're going to be seeing that kind of tension between libertarianism and conservatism and the GOP, because I mean, if, even if you look at people, the establishment GOP for the longest time, they've done absolutely nothing to, if you actually think about what small government is supposed to mean, do things like cut the budget, you know, scale back Mm -hmm. things like the NSA surveillance or or Patriot Act. So, I mean, it's kind of a meme at this point that the GOP actually represents freedom or small government. Yeah, I mean, I just did a um, a video on the political spectrum, and I created my own chart of the political spectrum, and I put centrist Republicans and um, modern liberals are pretty much the establishment right now, and they're so close together mm-hmm. that you really can't differentiate between the Republicans and Democrats at this point, other than what they don't agree on is what keeps them in power. Right. And what's what, what I thought was really interesting when I was interning on the Hill that I didn't realize beforehand is that you have these sort of celebrity pieces of legislation that get a lot of media attention and that people vote along party lines and there's this huge division over them. Um, you know, one of the, the things, I guess, would be the, the voting rights uh, legislation that the Democrats are trying to put through. That obviously is a, it's a big divider in Congress among the parties. But most pieces of legislation get voted on by all parties. They just get agreed to you know like there's so many bills different laws that everyone just votes yes on and so we end up with more and more legislation just piling up because it's so often that new laws are introduced very rare that they're repealed and by and large every member of congress whether they're republican or democrat is just kind of like blank rubber stamp just like yes 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 and um it was kind of a black pill actually when i realized that most of these people they're voting for the same thing say for very few issues yeah and that's why it was such a huge divisive issue when thomas massey wanted the quorum and actually to vote during on the uh the covid relief bill yeah because and bring people back to congress because it's in the constitution um but because they've done this basically everybody okay okay it passes type thing and and there's you know wasn't to be a registered vote on it and of course everybody came back and they voted and they showed that we can still uphold the constitution and, and vote how we need to you know but both parties didn't really want to do that even donald trump was Mm -hmm. against that he railed on thomas massey for actually standing up for the constitution in that sense and actually thomas massey is you know one of the the few republicans nowadays who i think actually remembers that they're supposed to be pro small government uh (laughs) i really really do like him he's I, i had the honor of meeting him uh, once and he's he's a really cool guy one of the the few politicians out there that I think actually you know believes in what he's saying and is in it for the right reasons absolutely yeah because um he's him and Rand Paul are the two that I've I don't think I've ever really been like okay they've completely left their value systems you know a couple of times mm-hmm. they may have voted against what I wanted them to but in, a, in the long run it was probably probably it's still constitutional it's still still not so bad like Rand Paul voting for the omnibus bill because he could have he could have uh, filibustered it and that was it that's like the only time I think you know 
And, um, you know, the thing with those omnibus bills is that it, back in the good old days, Congress actually had to draft up different spending bills. Like you weren't passing these huge pieces of legislation that were meant to cover everything where it's either take it or leave it. Um, and it's actually only due to their, like, I guess, incompetence, laziness, et cetera, where we're being stuck with the idea of these omnibus bills, where it's literally you have to approve mm -hmm. all of these things you don't want in different areas or else the government will shut down. Um, so, I mean, just I, I don't blame individual re Republicans, people like Rand Paul for being put in that position, no. because, I mean, it's essentially blackmail. And it's yeah, it's what we're doing right now. And I, I like Thomas Massey came out yesterday and actually said something that I had said in my interview with uh, with Josie on Monday was. Um, we need to get back to one bill votes. Yes. Um, and, I, and I suggest that we have a convention of states to get that passed and put that into the constitution that bills can only be one item issues. Yeah, no pork. <laughs> <laughs> Which every, every president has always said, we're going to get rid of pork and then they increase They never it. do. So, yeah, they never do. The president, they... Yeah. The president doesn't, re doesn't write laws, right? They just pass right. they just sign them. <laughs> right. Unless, I mean, um, like, we're, we're increasingly going into that age where it's kind of like legislation by executive order. And, you know, to be fair, Trump also did do this as well. But I think it just it goes to show how I think even, you know, people within the government and like even Republican presidents with Republican Congress or Democrat presidents with Democrat Congress are very frustrated with Congress's inability to you know get things done. Absolutely. Um, and then you have people like on the left going back why the right always seems to lose is because the left are, is very good at Alinsky style tactics and the right is not. The right no. doesn't like to, and they don't even, and most of them don't even know what the Alinsky tactics are in order to counteract those Alinsky tactics. So they don't even realize that they're happening. Yeah, and that has been, I guess, frustrating. And, you know, I just did that video about David French and that's one of the I guess what's kind of disillusioned me from mainstream conservatism or establishment conservatism is that like, you know, every now and then I enjoy winning, <laughs> call me crazy, <laughs> but it's frustrating seeing, I guess, your own team fall prey to the same tactics again and again and again. And it's, you can't really engage in good faith conversations when the other person is not, you know? Um, so I guess you yeah. just end up kind of looking like the sucker. And I think you're exactly right. Um, you know, the, the right for generations has been very bad at messaging, very bad at PR. And the left, meanwhile, has, I guess, been, I don't agree with them, but they've been very effective and very efficient in, you know, inserting their their ideologies into things like pretty much every single uh bureaucratic administration anything to do with pop culture academia and it's like yeah here we are just on the street corner yelling about i don't know uh, <laughs> how bad Keynesian economics are yeah exactly <laughs> frustrating let's talk about that for a second though your uh, your take on the sesame street stuff <laughs> yeah okay so this is something that I feel quite strongly about. And I feel like this is, again, an issue where Republicans, conservatives, we're not doing a good job explaining ourselves or winning back the culture war. So like right now, and again, Sargon of Akkad has increasingly opened my eyes to this, the whole concept of LGBT as a community, that is a Marxist concept. The idea that these groups specifically, um, you know, that being trans somehow gives you similar political interests as someone who is gay or bisexual, that yeah. is a Marxist conception. 
Um, and so like when we look at what the LGBT activists are doing, it's very much beyond, and I think people are increasingly seeing this, trying to garner acceptance for you know, people who are gay or who happen to be trans or whatever it may be. And, and you know, what's, what's worrying is that when we look at what's happening in kids shows, and that's Blue's Clues, that's also Sesame Street, we are increasingly seeing not just normalization of like, oh, hey, you know, like, this is a different family structure, whatever. They're using the LGBT activist rhetoric. We saw that in Blue's Clues with, uh, you know, pansexual or whatever adults yes. and things like that um and yep. even with sesame street they are using that same I, sesame street is much much i think it was nowhere near as bad as the blues clues but they are still using that it's it's the promotion of political ideology under the guise of just preaching tolerance and they're very different things and i think the people who are doing this know that it's different things mm-hmm. and it's it's worrying and i think even you know parents now are starting to realize I, our Nickelodeon had a huge drop off in a viewers after there was a, you know, drag queen who sang yeah. this, this song about pride. Um, I don't think anyone thinks it's wrong to teach kids about love and acceptance and, you know, to not judge people on immutable characteristics, but this is a distinctly political message that we're seeing most of the time. Yep. Yeah. And I actually, my reaction video to the blues clues parade is it's my largest viewed video so far and it actually has more thumbs down than it has thumbs up because I agree with you. Um, There was the BLM fist in it. Mm -hmm. And then they, I actually said the same thing. So when you're talking pansexual and asexual, you're actually talking about physical sex and that is an issue Um, where I actually, I disagreed with your opinion, with your take on Twitter, when it came to Sesame street, when I watched it, I saw that this is just a different family structure but to and and I and I always feel like if if you're okay with showing a fairy tale that has a straight couple, you should be okay with showing a fairy tale that has a gay couple at the same point in time. Um, but to your point, they also are using stuff like that. And there's I didn't see anything that was really Marxist labeling or anything like that in the show. But well, I guess like they're, clues, they're... I said Nickelodeon should be ashamed. You know, yeah, so. well, with the Sesame Street thing, there are a couple different things. I mean, number one, they are using the um, like LGBT messaging and hashtag like love is love or whatever. And I got into yeah. some with it into it with someone on Twitter because I think trying to, in the context of speaking to children, equate LGBT issues with just love is love, I think that's kind of misguided. And even while well, someone has yeah. said, well, how do you explain the way the differences? in the way that moms and dads love each other versus the way moms love a child. And it's like, well, I also think that's probably not the most appropriate thing to get into with a toddler, right? I I don't think that children need to be taught like the complexities of the difference of of types of like romantic versus maternal love. I don't think they're able to understand that. You know, I think if, if we're talking about children who are watching Sesame Street, who are, you know, toddlers, um, you know, I think just like leaving it at family structure is probably all you need to get into. If we start bringing into yeah. things like, oh, well, now this is about love. Yeah. That's when I think you're, you're running the risk of confusing children because they don't understand the difference between love versus sexual attraction. And that's just a conversation that needs to be left to a later point. I don't understand yeah. why we're trying to talk about different orientations when it comes to children who are that young. Yeah, so I can, I actually, so I do agree with that, um, that 
the love is love messaging i see what you're saying there right as far as what they showed in the show and if they weren't they're just saying this is our family they had all different families on there and that families have a different structure and some people have two mommies some people have two daddies and some people have one of each um that's fine but yeah like you said when love is love is kind of a weird messaging to be able to put out there it seems innocent enough because you could say okay yeah love is love but um i think you mentioned in that twitter issue is that love is love is also what they're trying to use um that pedophiles are trying to use in, in order to uh, you know get kids and stuff like that yeah. and they're trying and to indoctrinate from a very young age that hey you can be 13 and still love somebody that's older right and it, it's because there's so much more to the question of you know like what is an acceptable relationship than hashtag love is love and I, I did a video a while ago talking about the whole pedophilia acceptance movement and I, I I did say that like look if you want to defend you know whatever type of relationship it is you have to have a stronger argument than love is love because love is love is true for the pedophiles love is love is true for uh you know those zoophilia people who oh, are yeah. increasingly seeing on twitter um you know the, these conversations have to bring in questions of things like consent, you know, um, I guess just even appropriate age gaps, power dynamics, et cetera, et cetera, which I like, we as adults definitely can and should have those, but I don't think children need to be part yeah. of that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which luckily I think the love is love message on Sesame street was mostly a Twitter thing. Um, yeah, I think so. So what they actually presented to the children wasn't as much so. So I think that was okay. Like I said, I was very disappointed in the Blues Clues because um, Nickelodeon should absolutely be held accountable uh, for the messages that they were pushing because that was just a whole mess of mess of an ish episode that I wish I wouldn't have watched because it was just so awful. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But no, Lauren, that was I also have to say. I also have to say, you know, how dare you say men are men and women are women? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was like, it was actually kind of funny because I had, a, I had both people saying, no one cares if you say that. And also simultaneously people calling me transphobic and telling me to, you know, go F myself and things like that. So it's like, well, I think you two should talk to each other because you might have something yeah. to say about it. Um, well, because they yeah. uh, they don't like me saying it either. I mean, I've been called a turf more times than anybody, than most people because I'm in the issues, because right. I don't agree with those issues. I'm like, no, I'm a trans woman. There is a difference in trans women. And, and you really didn't specifically say anything about trans people. No, because you yeah. could say if, if, if trans women are women, according to the left, then you said women are women. That's what's wrong with that. You know, it's, it's just the divisiveness of the left and they're going to go after you for for anything that you yeah, and I think that they deem wrong because you're on the right I, yeah and I think it is important to draw this distinction between like an LGBT activist of progressive leftist whatever and just the average trans person or gay person because yeah. a lot of the times I think we we have a tendency to like I just accept at face value oh this person who claims to be speaking on behalf of all LGBT people will all LGBT people must agree with them. And it's the same thing with feminism and women, right? Oh, this shrieking feminist claims to be speaking for women. I guess she must be right. Or, you know, BLM yeah. activists. Oh, well, they claim to be speaking for the Black community. I guess they may be right. And uh, that's also frustrating, like, you know, going through the uh, Stop Asian Hate scandal or like, yeah. you know, 
hashtag movement, there are so many people who claim to be speaking for entire communities. And I mean, I'm sure you must go through the same thing as well. And it's like, Michael Mouse also says like, you don't speak for me is probably one of the most simple ways to explain uh, anarchism, which I don't subscribe to, but I do, I do yeah. believe in that. You don't speak for me. Yeah. I've, I've said that before as well. I said, I, I've told left leftist activists, like, don't act like you speak for all trans people. Cause I can show you at least I can show you a hundred trans people that don't believe that. And then mm. there was this big divide between transsexuals and the transgender crowd. So there's a, there's a, there's a, a gap. And the problem is, is a lot of transsexuals, just want to go stealth. And I actually said this the other day, I wish I could just go, you know, transition, go stealth and just live my life. But because of the way that we are portrayed right now, I have to make my voice known. And that's why I am doing what I'm doing, because I'm trying to push my voice to show we're not these crazy leftists, we have to we have to fight back and, and actually make our voices heard. Yeah, and I think that's something that Blair White has done, uh, I mean, a lot of good for, because I think there are a lot of people where if you don't know anyone in your personal circle who is gay or trans or whatever, you might believe that, yes, you know, the crazy person who's shouting at you on social media, they represent everyone else like this, when obviously that's not the case. And it's kind of disappointing because individuals like you or Blair shouldn't have to, you know, kind of take on that burden to dispel the myth of like, trans uniformity with politics or what you know whatever it may be yeah. but i mean these activists are so so vocal and trying to push that narrative you you almost have no choice and it it actually happens as well um on the opposite side of the aisle with very social conservatives right i mean you just had a very brilliant interview with milo who is actually hurting the 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 gay the gay cause pretty pretty heavily with his current rhetoric that you can be ex-gay Right. And Milo is someone who's very interesting because as many people as t- are talking about how harmful it is that he's saying things like you can be ex-gay, there's also a lot of people who don't don't believe that he's being genuine at all. Um, you know, I yeah. enjoy the conversation uh, coming away from it. I still don't know. I mean, I definitely think from speaking with him, he's going through some things. I think that's, I, I, yeah. I would have no problem believing that, but exactly what's happening in his in his heart of hearts, I, I don't know. Yeah. And I think your interview was, like I said, it was absolutely brilliant the way you conducted the interview because you let him talk. You just let him talk. And I, in my opinion, he made himself look crazy um, in the way he's doing it. And then he had the video that actually popped up on Twitter yesterday. And it was like, we're going to Florida. We're getting a therapist. There's a bunch of gay guys. We're going to be doing all this. And I'm like, I just made the joke. Like, so a bunch of ex ex-gays on the beach in florida i'm sure there's gonna be no gay stuff happening there at all (laughs) yeah i mean it sounds pretty gay and even like milo himself (laughs) it's interesting that he's i mean there's definitely element of being that provocateur which of course smiley he himself would admit that um i think he knows what he's doing in branding himself ex-gay because you listen to him he very much admits that no he's still still gay that's not something you could turn off it seems like he's actually more trying to live a celibate lifestyle uh in keeping in keeping with his faith which i think is you know there's absolutely nothing wrong with that uh he is definitely though trying to kind of kick the hornet's nest in in the marketing message absolutely yeah yeah he i mean he pulls a lot of those um the people more on the alt-right area to say you know 
yes, being gay is not real. It's a choice and everything like that, which kind of undoes a lot of the marketing that even the more right-wing LGBT people have tried to avoid for a long time because we don't feel it is a choice. It's not really a choice to us, but you're yeah, right. He well, did actually mention a lot that he's just trying to be more celibate, right? Yeah, yeah, he's trying to be more celibate. Um, he's, He himself admits he, he doesn't think there will be a point where you know he'll be married to a woman with children or or anything like that um and what he and i talked about in that interview is that it's interesting because you know we often hear that rhetoric oh it's just a choice well i don't think anyone's sexuality what they're attracted to is any more of a choice for them as it is for me and uh, if a straight man believes that it is a choice he's making to be attractive attracted to women versus men uh, i don't know if that's straight but yeah. Um, but what, what I do think is interesting is that, you know, they've done research about whether something is nurture versus nature, which is very different than saying something is a choice. Um, something can be mm -hmm. the habit of your environment and affect your preferences, but that does not yeah. mean it's a choice. It's not a choice that I hate Brussels sprouts. It's probably not yeah. genetic, but, um, so I think, you know, going into research like that, especially when it comes to something um like transgenderism in order to more properly diagnose and just to more properly yeah. understand and treat i think that is important because you know especially right now it's almost like doctors and physicians are being told anyone who experiences just gender dysphoria boom slap them on hormones or whatever type of surgeries yep. that it's like well there are people who will the gender dysphoria will desist and i think yep. we don't know enough to just be I don't know, hand, handing out hormone blockers to uh, to children as if they were Tic Tacs. Yeah, that's, yeah, it shouldn't be done like that. And there are, you're right. I mean, some of that um, nature versus nurture is, especially you, you can see it a lot in the left when it comes to, I mean, I've seen a lot of AGP, um, agro something philia, um, when it comes to trans people. And it basically is, you can see it is a fetish, but it's becoming more mainstream um, when it comes to trans activists. It's almost like that is what's taking over the narrative. Are these people that used to be just considered gay men that like to dress up in the bedroom are now coming out as trans and it's just not not really what the what we are. And it's they don't feel like you need dysphoria to be trans. That's really what mm -hmm. a lot of that is. Right. And actually I've kind of seen people talking about how the belief that you need gender dysphoria to be trans or to actually transition to be trans is actually mm -hmm. trans medicalism, which is a form yeah. of gatekeeping. Um, so <laughs> yeah. it's just, it's very different than the conversations surrounding yeah. these issues. Like when I was growing up in the nineties and two thousands, we were, you know, there was discussion of, you know, people essentially being born in the wrong bodies and things happening yeah. in the brain. Yeah. And, you know, there was actually for a while research that was done on that as well, looking at the brains of, uh, yeah. you know, trans women versus bio, you know, men who identify as men, their differences. But nowadays, yeah. anything to do with that has essentially been put on the back burner and we are treating mm -hmm. it more like a, almost like a social condition, which, um, you yeah. know, I think if you actually are going through these issues is not helpful. Uh, never mind the fact if you're just an average teen who is experiencing discomfort in your body because that's what teenagers do, that's also not helpful. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's, a lot it, of people really being isn't. let down. I was talking to somebody who is uh, the head of the log cabin Republicans down here the other day, and he was mentioning how he was more of an effeminate boy and like women's clothing and stuff like that when he was growing up. And he, if he was grown up in this time, he would have been probably labeled trans, but he's absolutely not trans. So mm -hmm. it, it's there, there is a lot of that, that as well. 
and then I coined the term, hope I coined the term, um, <laughs> that um, being trans without dysphoria is just simple appropriation, because you are, you're just appropriating trans people, you're appropriating women or appropriating men at the same point, because there is nothing that's drawing you, nothing that says you are the gender that you're not. You weren't right, born and, uh... this, right? Uh, Deborah So, who's um, this, I think she's a neurologist. She's Canadian yeah. from Toronto, which is cool. I, lo I love that she talks about the fact that, you know, with this whole trans craze, especially among children, we're essentially wiping out effeminate men, effeminate boys yeah. and more masculine girls. And I'm someone who believes, yeah. and I, I think most of us do, that there's no one way to be a man. I mean, that sounds like the progressive sense, but it's true. <laughs> just because your little boy yeah. likes to play with Barbies or yeah. whatever, doesn't make him any less a boy. And likewise, a little girl being a tomboy is not, uh, you know, a, a definite proof that she is actually a trans boy. And it's strange, you know, in their yeah. attempt to deconstruct gender stereotypes and norms, they're almost actually in a way reinforcing them. Yeah, I've I uh, talked about it a little bit. So I've done some mentorship and stuff like that. I've been asked to to mentor some some younger um, LGBT kids, and one of them was a gay boy. He um, um, he was more of an effeminate boy, and he asked me straight up. He goes, "Do you think I'm trans?" And I asked him, "Well, do you want to transition to be a woman?" He said, "Well, no." I said then no, you're just gender non-conforming and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah I don't think that if he was, if it was somebody on the left, they would, he, they would have gotten such an honest answer. Oh, uh, I think my battery just died of my camera. I'm so sorry. <laughs> okay, it's fine. We'll, um, but we will, we can close this out here pretty soon. So, um, so, the last thing I actually had on here was to ask, um, I think you posted um, lately that your dad's cancer is doing well, right? Yeah. So he, um, he had surgery end of October and right now he, um, he's at a point where he needs checkups every three months just to ensure that there's nothing that's come back. And, um, you know, the, the hope is that eventually, you know, scans every three months and then it can be pushed back to kind of six months and the longer, we get away from that surgery date, the less chance of there is of a reoccurrence. And so far we are all good, which is a very, very uh, a relief to hear. And, uh, you know, they're yeah. going to be moving to the States soon. So hopefully he'll be near a lot of really great doctors. We'll get him, That's you know, great. since he will be a resident, um, some insurance and yeah, it's, it's been, I mean, since uh, like, 2020 was just a really bad year for many, many reasons. My dad's health being one of them, but so far things are definitely yeah. looking up. Yeah, that's really good to hear. I was glad to hear that when I saw it because I was following that story. I think you have, I mean, I like that you push the story a little bit more to show the hazards of like a universal healthcare system. So to my audience, if you haven't go watch, um, you can go back to Lauren's videos where she talks about the struggles of, um, you know, even getting her dad's care, which, um, mm -hmm. so now, um, it sounds like he's doing well. Um, I love your yeah, guys' well, pictures and stuff together. They're so cute. <laughs> thanks. So, I mean, we were, we were very, very lucky. There were a lot of generous people who helped us crowdfund his treatment in the U S. Um, I don't know if he would have made it if we had just waited on the Canadian system. And I'm not saying that like every single experience in Canada with healthcare is going to be bad, but I mean, you know, the results speak for themselves. Cancer survival rates are much higher in the U.S. because the treatment is more timely and uh, you, you just can't really argue those numbers.
okay um so i think um that's good um thank you again for coming on to the channel um it's really appreciated like i said i'm a big fan so um i was i was absolutely elated when you when you agreed to come on yeah well thank you so much for having me i i really really appreciate it it's been fun so um what are your you so you just have both your channels on here twitter everything like that um what are your channel what they're just under your name right yeah, so you can, my main YouTube channel that talks about politics is Lauren Chen. If you search it, hopefully, depending if YouTube is feeling terrible, you'll find me. My media channel where we talk about movies and TV shows is Mediaholic. And then for like Twitter, Instagram, Telegram, um, I'm just the Lauren Chen. <laughs> okay, yeah, and I'll put, I'll put your, your, uh, your links down below in the chat. Again, thank you all for, uh, for tuning in make sure you click the subscribe button below um we'll be back with some more uh some more amazing guests like lauren here coming up pretty soon thank you